Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. The Athletic. The race is on, and Daniel Ricciardo may still be sidelined by injury, but he's set to be confirmed as an AlphaTauri driver for 2024 alongside Yuki Tsunoda. Has he really done enough to earn that? And should we be surprised that his old team McLaren has tied Oscar Piastri down to a new deal? I'm Ed Shaw, and joining us with all the answers are Glenn Freeman and special guest Lawrence Barreto. Well, Lawrence, you were last on our podcast on the eighth episode, so it's taken us about three and a half years <laughs> and many hundreds of episodes to have you back. That's not a reflection on your contribution, of course, for those who, well, who doesn't know Lawrence Barreto? He's on F1 TV, Channel 4 turns up on F1.com and famed for his shoe selection, and he's he's very subdued in terms of shoes today. So uh, that's a little bit disappointing, but it's a podcast, so you don't need to go big on shoes, do you? <laughs> no, exactly. I, I thought I'd go comfort for this podcast, Ed. Um, thanks so much for having me back. It's an absolute pleasure. I can't believe it's been three and a half years. Uh, and that was a heck of a build-up, so I hope I can live up to that on this podcast. Well, you'll be under a lot of pressure, and your next appearance won't be until 2027 <laughs> if you're not quite up to scratch. So we'll see how it goes. And Glenn Freeman back on the podcast. This is quite nice, isn't it? Because this is a bit of a band-back-together type podcast, isn't it? Because, of course, all three of us used to work together at Also Sport. Yeah, no, it's cool. I really enjoyed uh, working with Lawrence, or Lazarus, as we call him. Uh, I was going to put that in a past tense, but we still call him that now. Uh, so yeah, I was very excited when I heard you were having him on the show, and you needed me as your filler guest, so I'm very happy to be here. I am disappointed, though, um, that there's there's no elaborate shoe shoeage going on. Uh, can you make up for that, Lawrence, by at least giving us a good recent burger recommendation, or do you not do that anymore? I know, I still do burgers. Um, I'm up to 180 different burgers I've eaten over the course of the last six years, I think. Not all in one go, obviously. Um, The best burger that I've had recently was out in Singapore, uh, Wildfire. It was delicious. Medium rare, not too many condiments in it. Lettuce, tomato, bacon, fried onions. That was it. I should say, watching Lawrence Barreto consume a, a proper burger, a new burger at a place is quite an experience because you sort of see him sizing it up, looking at it, studying it, checking the absorption rate of the bread. You can see all the thought processes he's going through. It's quite spectacular. Well, it's important business when you analyse a burger because you've got to get it right. And I've got a reputation now. To be honest, watching him describe that burger was quite an event as well. <laughs> yeah, he takes it very, very seriously. If you get a burger recommendation from Lawrence Barreto, you know it is correct. Does your Twitter profile or your X profile still call you a burger aficionado? That's the question. I think it does, <laughs> rather <laughs> embarrassingly. Excellent. Well, you are definitely a connoisseur, so uh, good for recommendations. And Wildfire in Singapore, I haven't been there to uh, try that one out next year. But let's get on with the matter at hand. Glenn, obviously Oscar Piastri, we've recently had the news that he signed a, a new longer-term deal with McLaren. He's going to be there until the end of 2026. I guess that's pretty much a no-brainer, isn't it? Yeah, I think Oscar made it a no-brainer. Um, you know, I he's one of those drivers, he came with a brilliant junior CV, and I do think that's important, but it's not a guarantee of success in F1. And there was obviously so much fuss around him last year, McLaren snatching him from Alpine. Uh, he had a lot to live up to this year, and it wasn't that easy at the start of the year. The McLaren was so bad, it was very hard for him to, to get accustomed to F1 and to make an impression. But as the car has got better, he has stepped up and, and, and shown very well against Lando Norris. And I think he's he's given McLaren everything they wanted to see from him. This is the this is very early on 
for Oscar. There should be a lot more to come, but his rate of improvement and the way he's taken to F1 this year more than justifies this deal. So I think it's it's a good move from McLaren as well. Get, get As we know, if, if Oscar doesn't want to stay at an F1 team, he'll find a way out. So get him locked down. Yeah, very, very good idea. But it's it's great for McLaren, A, because they've got a little bit of overlap with the contracts because Norris goes to 25, Piastri goes to 26. So it's just good that they're not both expiring at the same time. But at his best, Piastri has been Norris kind of level, hasn't he? And there have been plenty of weekends as well when, such as Singapore as one of them, uh, Austria was another, Silverstone was another one. He wasn't quite on the same spec as well. So even then, the sort of straight comparisons and clear. He really has done an impressive job, hasn't he? Yeah, and I think Glenn was mentioning the rate of development. I think that's one of the key reasons why they have moved to lock him down pretty quickly because I think they would have believed the hype around him, but they've actually seen it firsthand and, and very, very quickly. And I think when you're de- dealing with a difficult car and you can still get something out of it, that is even more impressive, ugly, than getting the most out of a, a really good car. I was talking to some guys at McLaren, and I think it's only like between a tenth and 0.2 seconds gap in qualifying between Oscar and Lando. And considering how strong Lando is in qualifying trim, for, Land, uh, for Oscar to be up at that kind of pace so early on in his career is really, really impressive. And like you guys were saying, he hasn't always had the upgraded car at the same time as Lando. So for him to have that kind of average at this point is very impressive. And he's been very no-fuss, hasn't he, Glenn? Because when you think about it, he probably came into Formula 1 as the most controversial rookie there's ever been, given everything that went on last year with the Alpine stuff. But he's kept his head down, he's very, very calm and sensible off-track, and he's just got on with it, which speaks very well of him, doesn't it? Yeah, I I hear from people who know him better than I do, and, and Australians who have followed him more closely for a longer time, that that is very much in keeping with the person that he is, um, to the point that... Some people in his home country think he maybe lacks a bit of charisma. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see. Obviously, what he does in the car is is, is very exciting and, and there's a lot he can achieve there. But I've been given the impression from a couple of people in Australia that they haven't quite yet warmed to him, maybe because he's, he's not the most uh, outgoing personality out of the car. But ultimately, for McLaren, the main thing for them right now is what's he doing in the car? And that, that's certainly where he's... He's delivering, but yeah, as there are there are ups and downs to being quiet out of the car. But right now, I think as a rookie, you maybe don't want to make too many waves on that front. It's more about what you do behind the wheel. So yeah, I think kept his head down is a very good way of describing uh, how he's how he's made his first impression in F one. Have you seen any little signs of of that character underneath? Obviously, you interview him on a very regular basis, uh, and he's quite subdued, isn't he? But do you see those little signs that actually there's a bit more to him than maybe he's showing? Yeah, I think when a camera isn't on him, or he's not in a media session, or he's just essentially not facing the media, he's actually really funny. He's just a really nice guy. There's definitely is more for personality there. But he's advised by Mark Webber, and I'm pretty sure what they've told him to do is just don't really engage for now on the outside, because it's only really a lose-lose situation there. Because if you're not performing on track, then people might just think you're a bit of a joker, you're not taking it seriously. So I think he has really just reined everything back in for now. And I think since we saw that performance at Spa in the sprint, and he's had some stronger results since then after the break, you are starting to see, it's a little bit slow, but you are starting to see more of his personality coming out. And I think that is what we'll see gradually over time as he gets stronger on track and proves that he is worth all the hype that we've been talking about over him for the last couple of years. And it is fair to say that drivers, very few drivers come into F1 with a a fully formed kind of super engaging personality. They, they, They do a lot of growing up in front of our eyes and, I think that's wise advice from Weber, really. Weber was always incredibly sceptical of the media. Uh, Lawrence, you obviously know him pretty well and have worked pretty closely with him. But interested to see what his opinion of the media is. Now he works in it. I've spoken to drivers in the past who had a different opinion once, maybe once they were being paid by the media. But it, I think it does make sense. When you've covered a lot of junior series, as, as I did when I was covering races, it can be hard work getting even the most exciting talents to be that interesting outside of the car. But then 10 years into an F1 career or something, they're suddenly really interesting because they just, they grow up and they become more confident in themselves. And they, that point you said there about Weber perhaps warning him not, not to give the media anything they can, I don't know, twist or do something wrong with. Eventually drivers become much more comfortable controlling that themselves. So yeah, it doesn't mean that Oscar's gonna be if he's here for fifteen years, he's gonna be dull for the whole time he's here. But I think what you said there, it makes it makes sense 
uh, to tread very carefully in the beginning, especially given how you've come into F1. You know, he was he was on the sidelines last year and was still one of the biggest stories of the season. And ultimately, the most exciting thing is the body of work he's put together. I would say that a lot of people listening to this might not think of many Piastri performances that really grabbed them. But actually, if you look closely at what he's doing, there's been a lot of very, very, very good weekends. And there have also been times when it's just been like one corner in qualifying set him down. But the rest of it, he's at Norris's level. Should have had that podium at Silverstone. It was only the safety car that denied him that. So I think this has been really impressive. And yeah, there's lots to be excited about from uh, Oscar Piastri and I think we'll see some great things with him with McLaren over the coming years let's move on to the other Australian Lawrence because it's not been announced at the time of recording but we are expecting Alpha Tauri to continue with Daniel Ricciardo and Yuki Tsunoda next year do you think Daniel Ricciardo's done enough to prove he deserves to stay on given he's only had those two weekends well yeah it's not a very big sample is it to assess whether or not he is good enough to have that seat but I think when Red Bull gave him that opportunity at Alpha Tauri it was part of a longer play really and they kind of had wanted him in position so that if they ever need to replace Checo at the main team and the work team, they'd want to put him in that car. And I don't think it is about at the minute who is performing at the highest level. I think it's about what makes sense in the longer term for when they do need a new teammate for Max Verstappen. And I, for whatever reason, the Red Bull management have a lot of time for Daniel. I think he, he kind of plays well. They know he's quick. They've seen enough from when he's been back within the team as a reserve or third driver and when he's been back at the Alpha Tauri team as a race driver, they've seen enough to prove to them and they know him obviously really, really well that he can step up when they need him to. So it kind of makes a lot of sense that they'd already decided that seat and put him in space. I feel bad for Daniel that he's on the sidelines now while Liam's about to have his fourth race weekend and is kind of growing in stature and growing in performance. And that is ultimately going to put a lot of pressure on Daniel. I think when he comes back, whenever that hand heals fully, because he puts so much pressure on himself. And I think he, that is arguably maybe the, the the biggest gremlin that he's had over his career is just the pressure he puts himself under. But I think he can take pleasure from the fact that Red Bull back him and they want him in the car for uh, in the Avatari next year and they want to put him into the Red Bull when there's, a, when there's a gap available. Yeah, he seems to be very much the centrepiece of a team that's trying to reposition itself and make itself a little bit more of a, a big story in F1. So I guess it makes sense from that perspective as well. I feel bad for him that you've referred to him as the other Australian already. He's incredibly harsh. Um, but I hey, He is Australian. We talked about one. He is the other All one. All right. Technically yeah, correct. Um, I, your, your question to Lawrence, if you answer it directly, and I think that's why he laughed, has Daniel Ricciardo done enough to prove he deserves to stay on? No, because he only had two races. Um, but I always felt that there would have to be a 2024 element to this as well it's, it just seemed so unlikely that the stars would align perfectly that he'd come and do half a season in the Alpha Tauri something disastrous would go wrong for Sergio Perez and then they'd go great we'll just pluck Daniel straight into the top team and then we'll put Liam Lawson in in Alpha Tauri but I know we're, we're coming on to Lawson later but I think Lawson has complicated the picture somewhat and I think whenever Daniel comes back the expectations on him for his return will be higher than they were for those couple of races he did because I think the Alpha Tauri's been upgraded since he last raced it, hasn't it? And it looks like it's going in the right direction. So although he's going to have this 2024 deal in his pocket, I, I don't think he's going to get much of a grace period when he comes back. I, I hope for his sake that he is 100% fit and, and everything's properly healed when he comes back because people are going to expect big performances from the moment he's back in that car yeah the good thing is he's not going to rush it in terms of coming back if 2024 is safe that means he's not going to come in a little bit early yeah it sounds like right now the last I heard Qatar's possible but I think it's less likely to happen than it is to happen Austin seems the more likely place for him to be back and obviously Ricardo America you know that that's where he'll he'll really want to be uh back racing I don't think missing Qatar will matter that much to him no and also austin and mexico are two tracks that he traditionally goes very well at so i think he'll come back into that double header well it's a triple header isn't it with brazil at the end he'll come back into that swing of races confident that he'll be able to hit the ground running and deliver a performance and he was in singapore over the weekend just sat on the team wall in the engineering briefings and he did that because i think he doesn't want to quite let go of like pull himself out of the picture and he wants to be as plugged in as possible and learn as much as he can about this upgraded car because like Glenn was saying he does have to hit the ground running and he needs to prove to himself and the rest of the team that he is 
the level that they thought he was. Well, you mentioned the upgraded car there. And actually, I don't think we saw quite how promising that was in Singapore. Because if you remember, Yuki Tsunoda was fastest in Q1. That was a faster lap than Lawson managed in Q2 and Q3. So I think there was even more pace in that car. Big, major upgrade big floor changes there they're very confident they've added both aero load and had some characteristic gains it's been late entry instability has uh, has held alpha tari back this year in in lower and medium speed corners so it does seem that the alpha tari by the time ricardo gets back into it could well be a car that he can regularly aspire to be in q3 in which uh, which would be promising uh, for him but glenn we should talk a little bit about yuki Tsunoda because he's had a very difficult run of late there's even speculation in some quarters that he might not stay on but he's earned that fourth year at alpha tari it seems do you think that's the right decision or are you slightly puzzled uh, i wouldn't say puzzled I, he probably has earned it I, I do think though that he's had quite a lot of time now he's been very unlucky recently uh just as the car seems to be a bit more competitive but I, I think next year is a, a big year for him. Um, he's going to have a, a full season alongside Ricardo. That's a very interesting comparison that will tell us a lot about both of those drivers because we still have question marks around Ricardo. And there's the Liam Lawson element of the of the equation now as well. When you've been in F1 for as long as Yuki has, you you do need to start showing something. I think you need to show much more consistency and that you've got another level to find. And this does feel a little bit harsh, but F1's a harsh business and plenty of drivers at Yuki's level, at the level that he's shown us so far, wouldn't have been afforded the amount of time he's had. So I do think that he's he's getting low on time if he doesn't make a big step up. And I don't know how serious this is, but you hear the occasional piece of chit-chat now that he could be an option a sort of Honda-backed option at Aston Martin in the future. I think he's got to show a lot more before you know, he looks like a credible option to take a step up to a team like that. I think I feel what I feel bad for Yuki this year is he's got, I think, three tenth places. So he's got three points in separate races in a car that at those times was possibly the worst on the grid, maybe ninth best if we're being generous. And so I think when he was performing really well or getting the most out of the car, he wasn't getting like the rewards for it. And I think now that the upgrade has come, I think you're right, Glenn, that he needs to deliver for the rest of this year. And if he can get a whole haul of points, suddenly it will all make a little bit more sense that they want to keep him for next year. And that's really important for his confidence. In Singapore, like you said, Ed, he was fastest in Q1. Like he got backed up, didn't he, by Max, then made that slight mistake when it mattered and got knocked out. Checo then basically ended his race. It's, and he had that mechanical issue in Italy. So he's kind of had a kind of a run of it where he hasn't completed a race and lap in two, two Gords Prix. And Liam's come on and just has had the rub of the green but I think the thing that I've noticed differently with Yuki this year is he deals with those bad weekends much, much better. Like he's got, he's working with Michael Italiano, now his trainer who used to work with Daniel Ricciardo and they have a very good relationship and you can just see he's just a lot calmer. He, he can react much quicker to, to good weekends and bad weekends. And I think that if he kind of comes back in Japan in his home race, I think he'll deal much better with the home pressure this year. He's got better quality car underneath him. And I still think he will back himself to get on top of Liam Lawson and kind of prove that he deserves this seat next year. And I think it'll be quite healthy to have Liam there in the background next year, just fighting for the seat and and Yuki knowing that he could possibly get into the car. Because I think that will help push Yuki to that level that you said, Glenn, that he needs to get to. It has been interesting with Sonoda as he cycled through these teammates. He did outperform. Nick De Vries, that was that was quite clear. He had the two races alongside Ricardo. Ricardo beat him in in Hungary, but actually underlying pace, Sonoda was quicker. Although Sonoda did make a bit of a mistake in in qualifying, that meant he was on uh, in practice rather than meant he was on a slightly older spec. And then he was stronger at Spa. He was quicker than Lawson in Singapore. Monza Lawson got quite close in qualifying, but Sonoda did have a bit more speed in him. There's two ways you can look at that. You can either say, yeah, it's underlying pace is better, or you can say, well, it's all well and good having the underlying pace, but the execution isn't always perfect in that period because he's had some bad luck and a few little mistakes. I like a lot of what Sonoda's doing, though he's certainly, the way the team talks about him is very positive in terms of his technical feedback, the way he's also worked with these drivers as they've come in, Ricardo and uh, also Lawson, to kind of help them 
and his feedback is is kind of in line with what they're saying so there's there's no problem in that regard obviously his his english has come on a lot over the past few years his english is is uh, very good no no problem at all now and he is a bit calmer in the cockpit so i think that is interesting because it's it's like we've seen almost like 80% of the step maybe we needed from him this year. So it's very good, but it's just not quite... You just think there's just a little bit more to coalesce there. That's kind of my feeling with him. Is that sort of what you were getting? Because it's, it's not been a failure this year by any means. He's he's taken a good step, but it, it's... Yeah, where in that, that range of how big a step you need is he? Yeah, I'd, he's not... He's certainly not a name. You don't look at his name on the li- on the entry list and go... He's he's hogging a seat. He's wasting a seat that someone else has got. And I was very excited about him when he came in. He he was kind of fast tracked by by Red Bull and Honda. So I did I did want to give him time. It's it's more a reflection of how high the level is in F one and and the level you've got to get to 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 stay there. Because as as Lawson has proved recently, there are always drivers potentially ready to come in and grab a seat if they get the opportunity so that's what I, that's what i mean he's he's had a lot he's had a long time uh it's, that's one of the things often leveled against someone like lance stroll isn't it you know he's, he's not a kid anymore he's been around a long time you have to you have to either come in at a really high level and just excel from the off if you don't do that if you've got the rough edges i think we'll all agree yuki has or has had you have to keep showing those those signs of improvement. And that's why I think next year's a massive year that he, he can have an influence on his own career, but he can potentially have quite a big influence on Daniel Ricciardo's career as well. Yeah, that's always the way in that team, isn't it? When you're in the Red Bull stable, it can go one way or the other, can't it? And things tend to snowball. You can either sort of have a good run of form and suddenly you find yourself in a Red Bull, or you can have a bad run of form and you suddenly find yourself out of F1. Well, drivers as good or maybe even better than Yuki, I think, have been afforded less time at that team in the past. So I think he's, he's had he's had a pretty good run at it up to now and he needs to make the most of that. Yeah, absolutely. I'd agree. The next, probably the next 12 months or so are going to be absolutely critical. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Lawrence, we've mentioned Liam Lawson briefly. He appears to be without a drive for next year. He has got a drive for Suzuka this weekend. There's a good chance he'll still be on the grid in Qatar. Not impossible. He might get more races beyond that, depending on Ricardo's condition. But most likely, I'd say he's probably got two more. Do you think he's made a compelling case for a race seat? And if so, what next? Because he's not going to get one with AlphaTauri. I think he's absolutely made a compelling case. I think we we often say when drivers come in, they need a bit of time and they haven't had much testing. But Liam's come in and he's just delivered from the very first race weekend. Even in Zandvoort, he was kind of confident enough to push. And I remember he had that little spin and he tapped the wall. But I think the very fact that he got to that point so quickly in that session showed the confidence was growing quite quickly. He's done what everyone needed him to do. He's got a 13th. I think he had 11th and he's got a 9th. So he's proven he's improving. Seventh next. There, well, there, there you go. He's kind of improving weekend in, weekend out. He's doing exactly what he needs to do. The team really like him. I think there was a, a general fight from some among the team to try and get him into a race seat next year. But I think he's in a really solid position. He's come in. He's taken these opportunities. He might, like you said, he might get another one in Qatar as well. And if he keeps delivering, you know, we saw Nico Hulkenberg as a super sub. He came in and look, he got that opportunity at Haas as well. So even if he hasn't got an AlphaTauri seat next year, I think he puts himself in that window where people know he's good and he's still young he's got opportunities and it doesn't mean that he won't get a chance with Red Bull in 2025 or beyond or indeed another team 
Yeah, I'm interested to know what Red Bull think they should be doing with him. What, what do you reckon, Glenn? We've mentioned on the podcast a couple of times before that it might make, make sense for them to try and get him in at Williams because Williams potentially have a vacancy next year. Logan Sargent, things still haven't quite come together for him. There's signs of promise, but it's still not really coalescing into a proper complete weekend. Do you think that sort of deal would be appealing to both Red Bull and Williams and also, I guess, Lawson to, to build on this momentum next year? I think it's it's a great idea. When I first heard it, I thought that makes a lot of sense. On the Williams side, I think you'd you'd want a commitment beyond a year. You don't just want to take this guy to do Red Bull a favour and then you're back in the same situation you were at the end of last year where you're scrambling around to find a teammate for Albert if he's still there. Um, but I think I think Lawson Lawson has done such a good job that he's actually damaged uh, the the case for the defence of Sargent and. Everyone's saying, Sergeant's a rookie, he's come in, maybe he's a little bit undercooked, you need to give him time. Lawson's come in mid-season with no time to prepare and has hit the ground running immediately. And it's, it's, very, it's very rare that a driver does that. But really good drivers, quite often you look back at the start of their careers and they make an impression somewhere. So I'd say Lawson has exceeded my expectations, but that's because my expectations were low based on the circumstances he was coming in for. It's not a reflection of how good I thought he was. Um, He's doing a brilliant job. And yeah, I think it would be a real shame. He's grasped this opportunity. He's done everything he could possibly have done up to this point. It'd be such a shame if he then has to go back to the sidelines for a year because he's proven he should be one of these 20 drivers on the grid. I always like it when drivers get an unexpected chance and they really stake their claim. I, I always think that does mean they deserve a shot. Now, the counter-argument, people say, well, look what they did with Nick DeVries. But I still actually think that what DeVries... Well, I'll come in there because I, I did mean to say <laughs> Lawson's come in and grabbed the opportunity and proven that he's got it. That's very different to the DeVries thing. And I, I just thought from the moment they hired DeVries, that was a mistake because it... It ignored all of the context around why that Williams was the perfect car to come into that weekend. And it I, it felt that that Monza performance for De Vries always felt like the outlier for me. And there's a reason all the F1 teams basically ignored him when he was in F2, when he won the F2 championship. And I just, I, I thought it was a mistake at the time. I thought Red Bull, and if that was Helmut Marko, and I think it was, overreacted to one performance in a perfect set of circumstances. De Vries did a good job, but I never expected that to translate into a proper F1 career where he'd perform all the time. Lawson's, if if De Vries had had three races like Lawson has, I think the other two would have shown to us that he wasn't up to it. Uh, Red Bull pulled the trigger too quickly there. It would now be a shame if with a driver who I think has got a much higher ceiling than De Vries... They're too cautious and leave him back on the sidelines. Yeah, I'd certainly agree. It was a very odd Red Bull swooped in for him. I think it would be more logical for Williams to pick him up because they at least had a pre-existing interest in him. And I think you learn different things in different circumstances. So I think actually that Monster performance showed certain things about Nick de Vries, but it didn't show others. And I think in the same way, Liam Lawson has shown some very good qualities. I'm still not sure exactly where he shakes out in terms of his fundamental speed. That is an area where I still think he needs to convince. But his approach, his mentality, the way he works with the team, all these things are very, very good. And that's a good foundation, isn't it? Because if you can get the team behind you when you're dropped into the car, and it's very easy as a young driver to rub a team up the wrong way. They'll make allowances, but there have been plenty of cases of a bit of arrogance being in there. Lawson seems to have got it right, which is why there are people inside the team who were quite keen on him staying on. Yeah, and I think when you talk to the team after he did his FP1 appearances or he'd done any of the young driver testing, they were always very impressed by like his work ethic, the way he just went and talked to the team. You know, he he hung out with them. He kind of trying to make make them feel like he was part of their, his team and they were important. I think all those little things that you do over time and obviously the quality of the feedback that you give and, and the quality of the job that you do when you're behind the wheel, all of those things add up. And I think when you when the team have seen that sample of three um, and the engineers have had a difficult season and they've seen a driver come in and basically try to get the most out of what they've got, it kind of G's them up and it kind of encourages and motivates them. So he's doing everything right. It's just that, you know, sometimes there isn't a spot. That's just not his fault. It's just the way Formula One works. 
I think, Glenn, the only real counter-argument against Williams taking him on the loan deal, and I'd certainly agree they'd need a couple of years. Maybe there'd be a break clause in there if it's activated early enough, but they'd want to know they've got a good chance of having at least two years out of him. The only negative is that it would perhaps be a an implicit critique of the Williams young driver scheme and that they'd be ousting one of their young drivers and not putting in one of theirs and taking someone on loan from another scheme. And I've always thought that Sargent can be quite a good sort of poster boy for their scheme because if you're Williams, you'll want to get the next superstar if you possibly can. And the way you can do that is not by saying we've got a really strong F1 team because they haven't at the moment, but you can say, well, actually, we'll give you the chances that maybe a Red Bull won't necessarily. So do you think that'll come into Williams' thinking at all or do you think that's just way down the list of priorities? It shouldn't. Uh, you know, they can't let the pride get in the way. You know, it's not about, oh, this is a badge of honour for our young driver programme. If if the guy comes in and I think we've all been quite quite generous and trying to give him time, but if someone else comes along who's not had the time and looks like they're doing a better job and would be an upgrade, which is what they need alongside Alex Albon. Albon's doing a tremendous job. He needs somebody backing him up. That car isn't as bad as Sargent is making it look. You know, if, if you didn't see Alex Albon's results, you'd say the Williams is a kind of back row of the grid, always Q1 elimination car. It isn't. So you, you can't just out of stubbornness for your own driver program and a bit of ego maybe stick with the guy if, there, if there's a better option. If you want... Uh, a new poster boy for your young driver program. Go and find another one. Go and find a faster driver. Um, they could stick. With, they could uh, do the the Red Bull Albon trick and make um, make Sergeant your reserve for a year. Give give him some time, and then you've got him. I guess as that backup option if for whatever reason you lose uh, Lawson after one year. But I don't think that should come into Williams's thinking. That, that's not going to get their young driver program anywhere if they stick with a guy when they had a better alternative somewhere else. Yeah, I think we're now 15 races in and he still hasn't strung together one complete weekend. I don't expect that every week, but you've got to join a certain number of those dots together. There should have been more peaks by now. There really should have been. And I think he took a good step kind of around Austria time and it's not really gone anywhere since then. So yeah, I'm a little bit worried for his development. There's there's a driver in there somewhere, but he's making it more difficult for, uh, for Williams to justify keeping him. Lawrence, let's move elsewhere in the world of Red Bull because the dust's now settled on the Singapore struggles they had. Are you buying the fact that it's track-specific and circumstantial or is there still room for it being down to the technical directive and the floor clarifications? Could there be something that Red Bull was doing that it now can't do that's transformed its performance? Well, I kind of wish you asked me this after Japan because then I could give you a a clearer answer. (laughs) Where would the fun be in that? We're going to ask you now and then if you get it wrong, we'll pillory you even though you don't have the necessary data. Yeah, I bet you will. I bet you will. Um, I think, honestly, I'm leaning towards it being track specific just because there doesn't seem to be any real panic within the team at the minute. Um, I was talking to Christian briefly on Sunday morning and I think although they, they knew it was going to be bad and it turned out to be slightly worse than they thought, he wasn't remotely worried about it. And I do think if it was, if the uh, technical directive and the floor clarification had had an impact on them, then I think there would be, there would be something in it. Um, Not that I'm saying he's not a good poker player, but I just think that there would be more, I think there'd just be more concern within that team at the minute. So I do think it was track specific. Yeah. There's still that little tiny bit where it could be, but I'd I'd agree that's certainly how I'd view it. Yeah, we'll get more from uh, Suzuka. But I guess, Glenn, there's also the possibility Red Bull don't necessarily know because I think pretty much every team has had to do something because of these clarifications and the technical directive. Even Williams admitted they had to make a little tweak to their floor. It's not about being caught doing anything illegal because there are degrees of freedom in the flexibility. And if I said, actually, we're going to slightly change these degrees of freedom because they have to be there, otherwise the laws of physics will not allow the cars to work so it's not about being found out it's about just making little adjustments and there's always that question isn't there with f1 cars there's always a little area where you don't know something so do you think that's a possibility that red bull may have misplaced confidence that this hasn't unsettled them uh it's a small possibility uh the, the idea of a car that good being uh it taking something so small to knock it out of its its kind of ideal window is is quite interesting. I'm I'm with Lawrence on this one. I think Singapore is going to be a one-off as a neutral. Uh, it'd be great if Red Bull had a bit more of a challenge over the final part of the year because you know how exciting was that parts of that race where we didn't necessarily know who was who was going to win and science had to do 
even on a track that was difficult to overtake, he had to do a great job to hold everybody off. I know Red Bull have said they haven't changed anything on the car or haven't changed any parts. Maybe the wording was quite specific. But equally, a lot of the other teams on the record are saying they don't think Red Bull's been held back by it. Everybody who's got a dog in this fight would uh, would tell us a, a half-truth or, or or maybe more extreme if it, if it suits their agenda. So what Red Bull have told us doesn't necessarily mean that they definitely haven't changed anything or they haven't got any problems. But also the other teams who are saying in public, um, we don't think Red Bull are going to be held back by this. I wouldn't necessarily believe them either because it's kind of in their interest to say, oh yeah, Red Bull will be fine. And then if they're not, it it, it reflects better on the teams that have caught them. You never know. But I just think there's a body of evidence here, isn't there? Which is is the RB19 over over a range of tracks and a range of situations and a range of conditions. I'd be very surprised if these tweaks could make it that bad. But the, the main thing for me is Verstappen's pace was actually pretty good in the race in Singapore. The safety car worked against them. It was a strange race with Ferrari containing everybody for sort of track position purposes. So you didn't necessarily see all the cars get strung out and show their pace. But I actually think the car was okay in race trim. So when you put it back on a track where they haven't got the specific problems they had in Singapore, I'm fully expecting them to be back at the front. And the bottom line is, there's not a great deal of point in Red Bull lying about it because there's another seven races. It's going to be pretty obvious. If, if every weekend from now is like Singapore, that's going to happen, isn't it? <laughs> so, uh, you know, that's the, not the stopped people isn't... before, though, has it? <laughs> well, that's true. Well, sometimes it's self delusion, but, you know, Suzuka is a very aero circuit. And so, yeah, if we saw something Singapore esque from Red Bull this weekend, that would be a huge red flag, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah, it'd be a massive red flag. And I think that's why I wanted to wait until after this weekend, Ed, to answer your question fully too late too late you've uh, you, you've set yourself up for a fall but we're all in agreement i expect red bull to be the strongest team this week i think we'll see a similar pattern yeah qualifying will be closer because it always has been it's not completely impossible they could lose out in qualifying i think they will still be on pole quickest car on the race. I, I think red bull will be fine but be very interesting if they're not let's put it that way but glenn the kind of corollary of red bull struggling was ferrari having good recent form and actually becoming the only non-Red Bull team to uh, win. Obviously, strong recent form. It's only two weekends because Zandvoort was a bit of a mess. But time and again, we talk about Ferrari going nowhere fast. Have you seen enough to say there's proof that it is going in the right direction now? Where I think I've seen enough to suggest that we can maybe get get our hopes up is everything they've been saying about this, It you just, and it's rare that Ferrari give off this vibe, but you just get a feeling that, Maybe they finally do understand this car and hopefully that means they understand to understand this rule set as well. It's that's I've taken more from that than I have the race specific performances of Monza and Singapore. Monza they obviously threw a proper car package at that weekend, which other teams didn't do, and it paid off. But Singapore I think they they exceeded their own expectations, didn't they, for the Singapore weekend? And that all seems to revolve around finally understanding what's been a really tricky car. So they say that they... I don't think this is going to change their mind on the fact that they need a complete car overhaul for next year. You know, they are being very specific, aren't they? Saying brand new car. We're not going to just evolve what we've got now. But they're making enough progress now in terms of understanding how to make this car work that if they can really feed that in to a car that that fixes all the problems next year that this one has i can't i almost can't bring myself to say it because they always let us down but there is there are just enough signs now i think that maybe finally there's an understanding and that's the key for all of those teams at the front that are getting blown away by red bull is up to now, they haven't known why. They haven't known exactly what Red Bull's doing right, and they haven't been able to work out really what they're doing wrong. Ferrari at least seem to be finally starting to understand it. And when they come to a weekend, the car does what they expect it to do when they put it on the track, and the changes they make are performing as expected. And they haven't had that all year. 
it's interesting you've articulated it well there because there's the two elements there's the getting the most out of this year's car and then there's that unknown about whether that understanding and knowledge translates into next year because one of the things they've done is they've had this problem with instability and inconsistency all year they've dialed in a little bit of understeer with the setup that's working very well for science Charles Leclerc says actually it's not ideal for me I'm not I prefer a little bit of oversteer but because of that inconsistency and the erraticness in the car if you dialed in a bit of oversteer it's basically not possible to deal with it because it's too unpredictable I think not even Max Verstappen you don't want scary oversteer exactly yeah not even Max Verstappen could handle that if you want to consider him to be the the most oversteer tolerant driver if you want to look at it that way so Leclerc is contained fractionally and science is kind of at its best but that's the question isn't it Lawrence does understanding a limited package now mean that they can solve it next year you can understand what you've got wrong but understanding why it's wrong and how you can ensure next year's car is not wrong in a different way I guess is the big challenge isn't it yeah and I think they know they've still got a massive challenge ahead of them they've got to be careful not to fall into the trap that Mercedes fell into where Mercedes had one good weekend in Brazil and they suddenly thought oh hang on we can actually save this and turns out no they couldn't um so Ferrari have got to make sure that they don't do that to be honest they're the team more likely to go down that path so let's hope (laughs) let's hope they don't do that but I think that um the fact that they've been stronger at two very different circuits and that from the very first practice session both drivers seemed happy with the car. So that suggests that stuff like simulations are working well, correlation is good. They do have a base understanding of how their car works at that specific track. But I think we need a much bigger sample before we kind of realise whether or not they have kind of cracked the understanding of this car. And I agree with Glenn that I think they are going to crack on with this brand new concept. Or I know Fred doesn't like using the word concept, but they are going to go in a brand new direction, mostly because I imagine they've seen teams like McLaren following a more Red Bull-esque philosophy and and it working. They've bought two big upgrade packages now and they've worked. So I think if teams don't start clocking onto that quickly, I think they're just going to face another year of pain and another year of Red Bull and anyone who has followed that path moving further ahead. So still loads for Ferrari to work on for them to make some very, very big decisions now over the next couple of weeks and months. But I do think it's nice for Formula One that they are kind of looking like they're in the fight again. And I think it's great for Sainz and Leclerc to have a car that they can fight with because I think for too long this season, it's just been a bit disappointing that they've never really been in the fight. But Sainz is the form man, isn't he? Do you think there's any chance that he could be mounting a really serious challenge to assert Leclerc as the Ferrari de facto team leader? Because Leclerc is the de facto team leader. They never say it, but they do see him as the spearhead and Sainz is the very, 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 very good. Not not even the number two. He's like the number one and a half there. I absolutely think this could be the start of him kind of trying to prove try whether or not he'll ever achieve this whether ever he'll ever convince senior management that he is good enough to lead the team I don't know if that but what he can do is deliver weekends like he did in Singapore and and to an extent in Italy as well and I think you were mentioning the fact that that understeer the way that they kind of set the car up is suiting him he's always needed that kind of edge just a little bit of help for the team just to, to just help him show what he can do and he doesn't need to be asked twice we've seen throughout his career he can consistently put a good run of results together and now that he's got this confidence and he's definitely I know we talk about all drivers being confidence drivers but Carlos is definitely one where once he's on a bit of a run he really benefits from having that kind of rhythm and that confidence so yeah I think we could kind of see a lot from him and he tends to finish season stronger Anyway, and he's got a a run of circuits now where I think he will feel pretty confident that if he can set the car up right from that first practice session, he can have the edge. He's always thought he could do, but I think he thinks he can have the edge over Charles. Carlos has got an incredible work ethic. He always has. He he had it in the the junior ranks when he was on the Red Bull system. And, you know, I think he always felt he had a bit more to prove than some of the more fancied runners in that scheme. And that's kind of gone through his whole career, hasn't it? He's, He's bounced around from team to team where he's never quite been completely the fancied guy and I think he now he's been alongside Leclerc for long enough he's got comfortable at Ferrari he'll probably see okay Charles got this phenomenal car control and phenomenal speed and ability but Carlos is not that far behind on his good days and when you couple that with incredible hard work to keep making yourself better I think now he'll be very confident that that he can get at Leclerc I suspect if the car goes back in a direction that Leclerc can really hang it out with in the future, I would still think he'd be the faster driver. But you, we haven't yet seen from Leclerc enough proof to say that if a car suits them both, 
who would score more points over a whole season. You might even say Leclerc might win a few more races or certainly take more poles. You can't say with certainty who would score more points across a whole year because science is just developing this relentless ability to to not have those peaks and troughs and certainly not make errors either. It's one of those classic driver lineups where if you add their two strength, their, their each driver's strengths they're together, great you get probably the best driver in Formula One. But their complementary skills as well, and science is is very sharp. The, the thing I like with science is he wasn't that happy with his twenty twenty two. It took him too long to kind of adapt to the car and understand it. Leclerc was onto that really quickly because he was talking about adapting the way he was braking and approaching corners last year. Science got a bit lost, but this year, all year, science has been much happier in the car. And he's been qualifying pretty well. But the first half of the year, there were just a lot of weekends where just something tripped him up. But Zanvoort as well, the result wasn't good, but he overachieved in that car. So I think Sainz, I mean, second half of the season, it's only, what, three races we've had. But Sainz has been the star driver of the whole field over the past uh, three races for me. So, yeah, interested to see if he can continue that. Plus, of course, you've got the added dimension of they're both out of contract. Sainz wants a, a nice lucrative new deal as well. So uh, good timing for him. Hi, producer Johnny here, interrupting the show momentarily to tell you about Roan, a clothes brand we think you'd like. I don't know about you, but finding clothes you like can be tough. Sizes can vary from brand to brand, and fabrics can be poor quality or uncomfortable. We all know a good outfit can impact your confidence and help you feel your best, and that's where Roan comes in. Their range of stylish, functional, business casual menswear helps you look good without having to think about it. Is versatile, high quality and durable, and works in a range of social and professional settings. Roan's commuter collection includes products for every occasion, including the world's most comfortable pants, dress shirts, quarter zips, polos and blazers. It also features, and get this, wrinkle release technology and gold fusion anti-odor technology for more wears between washes, so you'll be fresh and clean all day long. Roan were kind enough to send me a shirt and some pants from the Commuter Collection and I can tell they're going to be part of my wardrobe for a long time to come. The Commuter Collection could get you through any workday and straight into whatever comes next. Head to roan.com forward slash race and use promo code race to save 20% off your entire order. That's 20% off your entire order when you head to rhone.com forward slash race and use code race. It's time to find your corner office comfort. Well, Glenn, let's look ahead to Suzuka because an F1 race is always special, isn't it? It's the kind of track that probably couldn't be created anymore. Do you think F1 maybe risks neglecting the driving challenge of this kind of track amid today's push for street circuits and tilkadromes? Yeah, definitely. You're you're never going to get another track like this. You said you can't imagine it being built today. I, I... I still can't really imagine it being built in the 80s either. Um, it's 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 an F1 classic. It is on that it's on that list when the drivers name their favorite circuits it's still on there. I do it seems weird to me now that we actually didn't go there for a couple of years and it's very easy to forget that Fuji nicked this race um briefly in in the noughties. but as much as the driving challenge of Suzuka is great and, and the fast sweeping corners and the layout is superb the thing I like about Suzuka, and this does put it at odds with the newer circuits, is that if you make a mistake there, you're almost certainly going to be punished for it. The the the, the barriers are quite close. There's still gravel. The curbs are really nasty on a lot of the corners. So mistakes are punished. It's one of the things I like about somewhere like Montreal as well. Drivers don't have all those get-out-of-jail-free cards everywhere. So, yeah, there's a driving challenge anyway just to hook a lap up around the track. But there's the added driving challenge of you can't get away with the mistakes you can often get away with at a lot of the modern F1 tracks. And it's just got so much challenge in it. You know, the, the snake section at the start of the lap is... It, it's not the most kind of eye-catching part of the lap, but it's so difficult to get right. It's so easy to lose huge amounts of time just through tiny imprecisions through that, which is what I like about it. And just... It does feel more of an outlier now, doesn't it, Lawrence? It's always been a very, very unusual track, I guess. It's always had its own character, but it feels more outside of the realm of what we're used to in Formula 1. And that's why the drivers love it. I, I generally get the impression, probably if you polled the drivers, more would probably pick Suzuka over, say, the traditional choice of Spa as the favourite track. Yeah, I was going to say, I think they would. I think the poll would 
definitely be significantly in Suzuka's favour. That's the one where when you talk about the favourite track, their eyes light up when they talk about Suzuka. And it's almost like they're imagining when they're going through that fast air section. And I imagine they dream about it and they talk about how they love qualifying, obviously, when they're low fuel and you can get around there and stuff. And when I've watched um, the action track side, it's probably one of the most exciting places to watch around Suzuka because you can genuinely see the difference between drivers because, like you were saying, those small differences really make a difference. Like the small kind of driver movements with the steering wheel and stuff so that's what i think i love about going to suzuka i also love the fans like it's a proper event i think when you go there you know you're in japan you know that they love formula one you know that they love basically everyone who has turned up and that creates an atmosphere that you just don't get at these new venues around the world and that's not their fault of course the new venues they can't just magic magic up this passion and this atmosphere but i think that's why it's so important that we do continue to go to events like japan and at suzuka specifically because i think you you'll lose that so hopefully we can try and find a nice balance going forward yeah, I think it's sometimes underestimated how strong the support for that race has been in Japan over the years, because everybody looks back to the point where basically, well, you did have to win a lottery to get tickets for the race, not on financial grounds, but it was so oversubscribed, you had to basically go into a, a ballot for it. The demand's not quite as high as it once was, but it, it still is such a big race and yeah well obviously the honda side of things adds a little bit of extra spice to it yuki sonoda being there is always good but actually you don't need any kind of home element for it still to be a big deal it always is and there's always you know the fans when you're coming in through the circuit gate they're always loitering there and it's also one i know a few drivers recently been complaining about too many sort of vips and types in the paddock you do get that at Suzuka, but they just tend to be really enthusiastic and sort of respectful fan types who are not there to be seen, but they're just there because they absolutely love it. So it's a great, um, it's a great one from uh, from that perspective, and yeah, it's it's great to be going back there. But uh, a few other topics, obviously, Lance Stroll has confirmed he's going to be racing after missing Singapore. Glenn, it was an interesting one because it, it was presented as kind of a blend of the extent of the car damage and just being battered around a bit in a non-specific way that meant he sat out uh, Singapore. So I guess we can assume he's going to be back uh, back to full fitness and uh, why wouldn't you be for, uh, for Suzuka if you had any chance to uh, to race there? But there's some pressure on him, isn't there? Yeah, hopefully he's rested up now it was such a nasty angle of impact when when you have that correction and it grips and fires you into the wall it's, it's an uncomfortable accident to watch even when you hit tech pro barriers as i think he did i'd imagine he's probably even if he still feels a bit achy he'll be coming back in better nick than he was at the start of the season when he was properly injured um and that bahrain performance yeah that that was a a real he really had to dig in for that so i hope he's in better shape than he was there but yeah I mean we we talked about Sonoda earlier and I mentioned Stroll then because it's very easy for people to assume because Lance is always the junior teammate alongside whoever he's with it's easy to assume he's kind of still the new guy but he really isn't and obviously he's gonna keep that drive <laughs> well I don't know for as long as he wants it certainly for next year I did I I always felt he was maybe flattered slightly by going up against a Sebastian Vettel who wasn't the Sebastian Vettel of old. So he kind of looked, he looked okay in the comparison, but now he's come up against Fernando Alonso, who I still think is the Fernando Alonso of old, just, just this relentless machine. And it'd be nice to say, oh, he, you know, let's hope he can find another level and, and, and improve. I think we know what his level is. And I, I think this is... This, if Aston are going to keep him, they're just going to keep having to plug in superstars alongside him. And if you if you look at the points, really at any point this year, we've done a few graphs at the race this year where you look at the teammate points comparisons, the two green bars of the Aston Martin drivers are, are way, way out of kilter with each other. The questions are going to be asked and they're going to be quite aggressively fended off by the team, I think. And, and we all know why that is. Yeah, it's just it's why he didn't really need things like Singapore happening. You know, anyone can make a mistake in qualifying. It does, it does happen. But yeah, being sidelined for the race doesn't uh, doesn't really help. But it does it does sound like there's no question marks over his fitness. I don't believe there was any concussion or anything. He can be cleared by the team's doctors and everything to to race. So I don't think there's going to be any any particular issues. But it's interesting for Aston Martin as a whole, isn't it, Lawrence? Because they're becoming a bit more. They're almost in danger of creating a little subgroup with Alpine having been firmly in that that second place group before it's just 
gradually sort of floating away from them this season, isn't it? Yeah, I think if Lance had scored even half the points of Fernando, I think they would have clearly got a P2 in the Constructors' Championship. So I think they'll get to the end of the year, regardless of whether or not the board and Lawrence feel that Lance should be in the car and probably be pretty disappointed that they've missed out on that spot, considering what Fernando has been able to do. At the same time, Mercedes have kind of always kind of been there or thereabouts in that fight. Ferrari have obviously come through as well. And they are two teams who have in, inherently been very strong over the last decade or so. So Aston are still a team in uh, who are growing, who are trying to become one of the big teams. And it's going to take them some time to be able to operationally be the very best at that top level or operate that high level consistently every race weekend it's also going to take them some time to consistently develop through a season in the same way that Ferrari and Mercedes do but I do think they'll ultimately need to be disappointed that come the end of the season like you said they're kind of falling into that Alpine trap who kind of been a, they've been very disappointing ultimately this year um I think that yeah they'll be disappointed that that's where they've ended up it's all a matter of perspective really isn't it the the start of the season with, with Fernando's brilliance and with Mercedes and Ferrari being off it, kind of created this, this it, well, it moved the goalposts. It created this new this new impression of what, what we should expect from Aston Martin. And if, let's say, so if they end up fourth, you would say at, at the start of the season, before we knew where the pecking order was, if Aston Martin were offered a close fourth behind kind of Mercedes and Ferrari, you'd say that was good progress. But, they they almost they achieved too much too soon at the start of the year so now it does it does look disappointing and i'm sure they'll frame it as i just have they'll say look you know we have to we have to consider where we were last year where we've come from where we've ended up that's great but that's not really good enough because you can't ignore where they were at the start of the season and i think yeah it, i guess it has been an eye opener for them for just how relentless the teams they want to catch are in a development race and there's obviously all the, all the all the whispers around, you know, if certain uh, tightening up of regulations have affected them as well. Questions that I know they're never going to answer this year, but how many more big results are we going to see from them before the end of the season? You know, it doesn't seem like it's going to be a huge amount, although you can never count Fernando Alonso out. But I guess that's the big question, isn't it, Lawrence? How you evaluate what Aston have done, because globally it is such a good season. But... It's always about the kind of level of understanding you've got of the car. And at this stage, it's impossible to say whether it's just a natural progression of the team that they just need to go through this and there's a bit of understanding they need to build because they were coming from sort of quite a, a low level compared to the teams they're trying to compete with. Or, or you can say, well, it just shows they maybe had a little bit of a boost from others underachieving and they've kind of got to their their natural level. I mean, ultimately, if, they're, if you said coming into the season, they're going to be battling with Alpine to be fifth best, fifth fastest team whatever they're going to comfortably beat them on points you'd say that was that's pretty good that's that's fine but yeah it does change the whole grading curve what they were doing in the early part of the year yeah because if the, you know even if they finish fifth that's still two spots higher than where they finished last year and i think they have suffered from the fact that fernando alonso has overachieved so consistently this year and maybe flattered that package flattered that way that the team operate and and um stuff like that so yeah, I think it's difficult because Lawrence Stroll has such lofty ambitions and he's talked a long time about wanting to be in the World Championship fight, you know, within a five-year period from when they became Aston Martin. And so that suggests they wanted quite an aggressive traje- um, upward trajectory. The difficulty is that all of a lot of teams, you've got Ferrari, Mercedes, Aston Martin, McLaren, and to an extent Alpine, all kind of progressed very quickly at the same time. And everyone can't finish P2 to Red Bull so you know some, something's got to give so I guess you might have to reframe it slightly differently and like if they say the second down to fifth are all separated by 50 points even if you're fifth you still generally made a big step haven't you kind of relative to, to everyone else so um, I'm sure they'll frame it in, in, in a way like Glenn said at the end of the season but um, yeah I think I'm just a little bit disappointed that they've tailed off in the way that they have done over the course of this season. Yeah, good luck to whoever in the team, I assume it'd be Mike Crack, has to uh, explain to Lawrence Stroll why why it's all trailed off. Because I think even though the people inside the team would have thought, okay, we're ahead of schedule in the first half of this year, you just know someone as, as fiercely sort of driven and ambitious as Lawrence Stroll was going, great, this is exactly what I wanted. We're pumping money and resource and personnel into this team and bang, there's the result. And now... 
he's not going to want to hear people saying, oh, well, actually, this is a good step up from last year and, and we are progressing. It's very challenging, isn't it? He's not he's not going to stand uh, for any of that. So they're going to have to take another step uh, next year, quite a big one. And if that's when Mercedes and Ferrari get their act together with their new chassis, that's going to be a massive, massive challenge. The last thing I'd say on Aston, though, we spent the first half of the year when Red Bull was winning every race. Even Max Verstappen was saying, yes, someone will eventually break this streak. And even Max was really saying it's going to be Alonso because he's the guy who's always there. He's the one as close as possible to snapping at our heels. Here we are. The streak's been broken. And Aston Martin weren't a factor. You know, you had you had three teams in that battle for victory at the end. And there's not an Aston Martin in sight. You wouldn't have believed that even what? eight races ago maybe it's it's unbelievable how how things have turned around and and how quickly the perception can change of these teams yeah we should say the team was always saying throughout the year their aim was to close on red bull that was the objective they set and it was the right one to set so i still think overall in the final reckoning this has been a, a this has been a good season for them even though it has trailed off but it just hasn't been the season that it looked like it might be in the first half. I think that's the best way to put it. So still in credit, but just not in as much credit as perhaps they had hoped to be at this stage. And that's still a team that's going in the right direction in so many ways. They've got the wind tunnel coming online next year, the new factory they moved into earlier this year. So that there's a lot positive there, but I think as you said earlier, Glenn, F1's very difficult, isn't it? So let's see where they, uh, where they wash out at the early stages of next season. Well, thanks very much, Glenn, and to special guest Lawrence Barreto for your insight. Anything you want to plug, Lawrence? Um, I should, I guess I should really plug the fact that I write for F1.com and work on F1 TV, so there you go. That's what I'll plug. So you're an F1 propagandist, basically. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, yeah, you can find all uh, Lawrence's work in the world of F1, well worth watching or reading or listening to, however you like to take your Lawrence Barreto. Uh, head to <laughs> head to uh, therace.com. Don't forget the hyphen, plenty to read there. Check out our other podcasts, including Bring Back V10, starring Glenn Freeman. We've got the Race F1 Tech show with gary anderson indycar podcast formula e podcast moto gp podcast so plenty to listen to and also have a look at our youtube channel both for shorts and long form videos we're now firmly turning our attention to Suzuka, so stay with us for everything you need to know for the japanese grand prix the athletic 